Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to jump right into the episode, but a quick break here for the sponsor of the show. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to a hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talk to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise today by visiting VetCheckForPets.com, which again is VetCheckForPets.com. All right, we're back. Hey, we are joined today by Mike Sabatino, who is the owner of Sabadoodle. I think I'm saying that right and he'll correct me if I'm wrong. Veterinary Financial Wellness. Mike's mission is helping veterinary practice owners and managers attract, retain, and motivate employees. He does targeted financial coaching for DVMs and staff with greater than six-figure loan debt. Mike's got a unique view into veterinary medicine as a certified financial planner and as a certified student loan planner. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Isaiah. Thanks for having me on. Tell me a little bit about the journey of where you've been kind of through the industry and then how you got to launch Sabadoodle and maybe what kind of prompted you to say, yeah, this is the direction I want to go. Yeah, so prior to Sabadoodle, I designed a, a workplace financial coaching program for McGraw-Hill Education. That's really was where it all started. So I built this financial wellness program for McGraw-Hill Educations. They, at the time, they had 4,000 U.S. employees. And so I got a lot of experience over seven plus years of just providing financial planning through the workplace. And that was very early in the financial wellness workplace movement. And it was sort of a wild west. And the great thing about it was I was able to really experiment with a lot of different ways to engage employees. And some worked and a lot didn't. But what I took away from it was just, I just really fell in love with the idea of providing planning in a workplace environment that's funded by the employer that really addresses foundational financial planning issues for a lot of folks. So I kind of got this real love for that kind of work. And lo and behold, I was introduced to a veterinary hospital through a business consultant person who said, hey, they had found me on LinkedIn. And then they said, hey, looks like you know something about student loans. Would you like to talk to the owner of this veterinary hospital? And at the time, I didn't know anything about the veterinary world. I just jumped right in. And I uh, started working with the doctors around, specifically around the student loan piece. This was two years ago. 
And I just had a lot of impact through the student loan planning part of it. And I loved the profession the more I learned about it. And that's really how I decided to build a business around it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's like the more you get involved, the more there's just great people in veterinary medicine. I say that all the time. Like I'm very, very spoiled to get to do what I do, whether it's the podcast, whether it's kind of the day job with Vincere, it's great. There's just super people, whether it's peers in the industry, whether it is like you said, consultants or other professional partners. And then clients themselves are just veterinarians that you get to encounter. So I totally agree. And again, it's a great place to be. One question I think that would be helpful, and I didn't initially think to address this, but I'm sure there's some people thinking, what's the difference when you think about financial coaching versus like financial advising? So like I have a financial advisor or a financial coach, because I've heard more and more, and I've had conversations with people and saying, hey, I don't think you're ready for an advisor. So maybe let's dive into that a little bit to explain the differences. Yeah. Yeah. The way that I look at it, and that term coach is thrown around so much, right? Everyone now is a coach and totally industry that you look at. So I think it's a really important question to start out with. And I'll just answer it the way that I view the world. And for me, it comes down to I've been in the business, in the financial services business for over 20 years now. And I've worked at large banks, I've worked at brokerage firms and wealth management firms and even a credit union. And I've seen all these different models. And generally what I've seen over my career, when I think of financial advice, I think of it as very one way oriented. It's the advisor talking at the client and with the green eye shade and going behind their curtain and coming up with the solution and presenting the solution And that's the end of it. And I learned the hard way through my work in the workplace early on that you're unlikely to actually change behaviors or have positive outcomes if you tell people what to do. And so in the course of my career and just my professional development, I'm not certified in coaching, but I read every book I can get my hands on in terms of taking a coaching mindset. And so what it means for me is just bringing a collaborative approach to what I'm doing. It's like like a great example of that is a client will, I'll be talking to a doctor and they'll say, I have X amount of student loan debt and I have X amount of savings. What should I do? Should I pay it all back or should I go on an income-based repayment plan? And a lot of advisors would say, well, your debt to income is 1.3 and you should pay it all back. Well, I'll just start out by asking, what do they think they should do? What is their spouse telling them they should do? Because I think ultimately people are experts on their own life. I can't begin to even understand what this person's history with money is and all that. So I take the approach that they're the expert on their life and I'm there to guide them to the best that I can. Yeah. I just had a kind of a cash flow investing conversation earlier today with a client. And I told them, I'm like, I don't know you're spending better than you do. I can kind of look at it and provide some ideas, but I'm not going to tell you exactly where you need to cut and say, Hey, you need to change this and not do that. It's like, let's focus on a couple different areas and you all can kind of chat and go through Here's some ideas. But again, I love that idea of being more collaborative versus talking at someone because at the end of the day, to make a true difference, you want someone to be able to, Oh, okay. I'm thinking differently about finances now, not just someone told me. I think the other thing that's been really formative for me is I work with a coach myself and I've been working with them for years now. And so I've gone through the coaching process and we talk frequently. And so I'm very conscious of 
the questions he asks me and how he asks me. And sometimes I'll just say, hey, Steve, give me the answer. I just want to know the answer. Don't ask me another question. <laughs> but whenever I've had good outcomes with my coach, whenever I've made progress, either it be business or personal, it's tended to, it had to come from inside. If I hadn't internalized whatever the issue was and had come to my own decision that I was going to change, I would tend to resist. And so I've learned by just trying to eat my own cooking. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to kind of just hear from and think through, and it might have kind of already been answered, but I'm still going to ask us. I think it's an interesting question is, so your focus is a little bit different. I mean, as a CFP, you can do kind of the personal financial advice and do the wealth management thing, similar to kind of like yours truly, where it's like you take on personal clients and you do that. What drove you to be like, I want to do something different? Is it that collaborative? You want to have a different experience and take it from like the employer side, like help me understand that. Cause I think it's interesting. Not very many CFPs want to do that. And I think it's really cool, which is part of why we're talking. Cause I think it's a unique way to do it. It was just really happenstance to be honest with you. I, There's no grand master plan. <laughs> no, there wasn't. <laughs> I mentioned earlier, I was introduced to this hospital. I still work with them. I've been working with them for two years and they're a multi-location practice right in the middle of New York City. They've grown dramatically. And I think now they're up to 16 or 17 doctors, really extremely strong culture. A lot of owners will say that they care about their people and they want nothing but their well-being and everything. I got to tell you, these folks truly believe this. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise if the ownership didn't truly care about their people. And so it wasn't that I went in with the intention of doing something dramatically different. It's just that it presented itself at a stage in my life where I wanted to do something on my own. I'd been an employee financial planner for so long and it has some benefits, but it at this stage of my life and my career, it just had a lot of drawbacks. And I felt that I had learned enough that, and I think with the technology that we have now as financial planners, that if there's a group that you want to serve, you know this, I don't have to tell you, there's a group you want to serve, you can serve them and there's no one going to tell you how to do it or what to do. It just comes down to providing a great client experience and keeping the clients happy. And there's no other bureaucracy or BS about it, which I love. Yeah. And I mean, you can take that same thing and think of like from your story and say, hey, you can do the same thing in veterinary medicine. And those that have listened to this podcast, right? Same thing. You can go do the startup and create that culture in the style of how you're going to take care of your community or the community you want to be in. And it doesn't have to be kind of the corporate model. But for some people, the corporate model is the perfect fit. And there's a lot of benefits to that. So what do you think is the biggest challenge in kind of team retention right now in veterinary medicine? And how are you having those conversations? And what have they looked like recently? Yeah, it's interesting because the area that I focus on, the financial well-being piece, I mean, that is just one piece of the overall puzzle. I think it's interesting that there's student loan payments have been on hold for, it's going to be going on two years now, and burnout among doctors is at an all-time high. And so getting your student loans in good order, it's important, paying them having a strategy is important, but given the level of burnout and the level of compassion fatigue and just the level of dissatisfaction among many associates, one of the things I really encouraged 
the veterinarians that I work with is to put themselves ahead of their loans. What I mean by that is there are a lot of voices out there, many of which are more seasoned veterinarians that didn't have the student loan problem. And there are a lot of voices saying, well, if you don't pay back all your debt, then all this bad stuff's going to happen and your finances are going to explode in the future. And I really try to eliminate as much noise as I can and focus on providing some insights because I just think there's too much information and not enough insight. But to get to your question, when I work with veterinarians and, and we'll look at their cash flow, for instance, I want them to have money to spend on vacations. I want them to spend money on going traveling to visit their friends and to go out once a week or something. Those It's just as important to allocate dollars towards that stuff than it is to pay back the loans. And so I think this is a multi-pronged problem. Money is just one piece of it. And I think that there is a lot that can be done in collaboration with you know, practices like Vincere and like Sabadoodle, but also ways to partner with organized medicine and really try to pull our resources and our brain power together to address the whole well-being picture. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea of sustainability in veterinary medicine is a word that gets used a lot. And yeah, if you never allow yourself to like enjoy life after delayed gratification, delayed gratification, like that's a great habit to have. But at the end of the day, if you still don't ever let yourself enjoy anything like, yeah, no surprise that you're feeling burnt to a crisp and that you're like, I don't have the passion for it anymore. Like you'll get there if you work yourself into the ground and don't give yourself any time to do other things. It's weird because I talk about veterinary medicine a lot, but it's like, shoot, last year I felt that way at times, right? Like we were growing, things were good, all these different things. It's like, but own a business, have a toddler, marry, like all these things. And it's like, we didn't go do anything and you're still isolated, just work, work, work. And then it's like next day and you can feel that. And so it was the first time I've actually ever felt that way where I'm like, why do I feel like I'm not, like I should be super excited and every day just ready to go rock and roll. And it's like, I didn't always feel that way. And it's weird. It's like, <laughs> not me, but it took a little while. And there was some good breaks that happened associated with that. But no, I totally agree. And you talked a little bit about the student loan piece. And I do find it interesting because there'll be these stories that highlight, hey, so-and-so paid off their loans in three or four years. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else seems to see that and say, well, I didn't, so I failed. Or yeah. I didn't do the same thing that they did. And that's celebrated, but not the person that took the repayment plan and did the other things. How do you help someone be okay with holding that debt, like that conversation? And is there any advice that you would give for those that are in a repayment plan to not feel that kind of burden or weight that they carry around? Yeah, it's not easy because those opinions and those voices are, they're very pervasive. And at the end of the day, it's not me with the debt, it's they have the debt. So it's easy for me to talk about it, but they're the ones that have to look at the balance which in a lot of cases is going up, right? While they're paying it back, which is so counterintuitive. If they're on an income-based repayment plan, they may be paying less than the interest. And so it's to the extent that if I put on my teaching education hat, I'd like to emphasize that federal student debt isn't like other debt. And so it shouldn't be treated like other debt. And what I see is... We all know or have had some experience with traditional forms of debt, like an auto loan or maybe a mortgage. And the strategy there is debt repayment and paying it all back. And 
with student loans, I try to help veterinarians get in the mind space of not debt repayment, but debt management. So we, not for everybody, if for some reason you got out of vet school and you came out with debt that's less than your income, well, then maybe you can pay it back. But a lot of the folks I'm talking to, we're talking three, dollars $400,000 of student loan debt. And so I try to shift the conversation from debt repayment to debt management. And the ultimate goal is not necessarily to pay back all of the debt. And then the other thing that I talk about is that, and this is along the lines that federal student loan debt isn't like other debt, just pointing out the benefit of federal debt, right? Like, What other debt can you think of where you can make a payment based on your income? I can't do it with a mortgage, right? What other debt can you think of where you make payments for 20 years and the government forgives it? And also, if you were to die or have disability, it gets discharged. So it's shifting the conversation from debt repayment to debt management. But ultimately, Isaiah, I think, and this is just my opinion and my experience, but I found that the thing that ironically worries doctors with student loan debt the most, it's not the payment that they're making now. It's when they look out into the future. That's what really scares them the most is the unknowns about the future. Because in most cases, there are no resources and tools to help them visualize what the middle of repayment looks like and what the end. There are calculators. There are some great calculators, but they're not really built. They're built for certified financial planners. And so from a very practical standpoint, what we'll do is I'll help them try to visualize the middle and the end of repayment by taking their numbers and putting it into a tool and we'll just run projections. And what they'll hopefully ultimately see is when we go back to this fear of a tax bomb, right? What they'll ultimately see is you can defuse the tax bomb if you start now and you just put little bits of money away you can be in a position if you had to, to write a check to the government. So it's this combination of changing the mindset to debt management, but then also the practical side of running scenarios and actually seeing, making some assumptions and seeing what the outcomes look like. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hard things about projecting things out for 20 years in the same way with financial planning. Like it's always going to be assumptions. We don't know for sure. You want to be directionally correct and not specifically wrong. We're going to be, hey, this is the best case. This is what we think will be true. But again, that can change. Maybe you get a big raise. Maybe you switch jobs and your pay goes up a lot. Yeah, maybe that changes some of the different things. But yeah, to your point, if you take ownership and start to try to address it today versus just doing the ostrich thing and putting your head in the sand and saying, you know what, this is overwhelming. It's frustrating. I'm just going to keep doing my thing and it'll take care of itself eventually. And that is going to be years and years. And all of a sudden it's like, shoot, I wish I would have done something or thought about this a little bit more clearly sooner. And I think along those lines, one of the challenges, I don't know if you experience this in your work, I see it in mine, is that we are making a lot of assumptions. If it's not even, whether it's a student loan plan or a retirement plan, the key is really is to update the plan, right? We're going to make some assumptions and then let's check in at least once a year to see where things are and course correct and things like that. And 
I think a lot of folks are under the impression that a financial plan is just a one and done thing and you get your plan and then you're done and you're stuck with the assumptions and that couldn't be further from the truth. I agree. So we've talked a little about student loans. Do you talk about some of the other benefits that's maybe offered from the employer, whether it's the insurance, ancillary, like whether it's health, life, disability, like these other things, and you see people like just not taking advantage of things because they don't understand it. And then kind of how do those conversations come up? And I know open enrollment is passed, but this is just really good information to understand. So I would love your take with those conversations. Yeah. The interesting thing with the employee benefits package is it's really hard when you have all this student loan debt, the prospect of like putting money into a 401k, tying up money, it's a scary thing for a lot of people. It's hard for them to get their People are coming to me that worried about retirement. The hair on fire issue is the student loans. But the paradox of it is that they can actually lower their student loan payment by contributing to the 401k. If they're on an income-based repayment plan, the more they put into the 401k, it lowers their taxable income, it lowers their payment. At least, again, this is my experience to the extent that folks are looking at their health savings account or their 401k or their insurance, I get the impression that there's just this data dump on them around open enrollment. I should have known better. I'm a financial planner. I know when I worked in a corporate setting, deluge of emails would come. And most of the time I'd be like, all right, I'll just stick with the same health insurance plan. Same as last year. (laughs) Same as last year, because I've got a zillion other things to go deal with and that sort of thing. So I think engagement's really hard. But that's another opportunity by, if you address the hair on fire issue, in this case, we're talking student loans, you can begin to engage your employees around these other really valuable benefits that otherwise just kind of don't get any attention. Yeah. And I think it's a really important thing that you said that a lot of people don't think about if they are going on income-based repayment, the idea of your contribution to your 401k and how that comes into play and how that lowers your income. And yeah, that's absolutely something that needs to be understood more and more. And that is huge. Same with HSA. I talked to a larger veterinary employer, we'll say. She was in their benefits department and it was definitely something that was mentioned about so many questions about the health savings account. I get so many questions about this, right? People just don't understand what the benefits are. And it's one of those things you're never taught. I remember the first job I had, my parents were like, oh, this is great. You got X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I came to them to ask. I was like, what does this mean? Right? Like, I need some help. It it takes time and it is confusing. I mean, talk about health insurance in general. It's just a murky, murky place to try to say what's best for me. And so a lot of times you have those conversations. I think another issue that's really coming up now in terms of workplace benefits that I'm seeing is a lot of hospitals and corporate consolidators are, they're coming up with these student loan repayment schemes. And it's sort of a wild west out there where the solution, what I'm doing in terms of coaching in the workplace, that's not the norm. The kind of go-to solution now among many employers is just to throw money at the person's loans. And the vendors that provide these solutions, I mean, these solutions are generally geared towards companies that have a lot of undergraduates with relatively low amounts of debt. They're not necessarily built for veterinarians that are on income-based repayment plans. And it can be a very inefficient use of employer dollars. And I'm just seeing these plans pop up all over the place. And I think that there's a lot of confusion among the taxability of them. 
And so that's an area, Isaiah, that I think is a really interesting one in the employee benefits space right now. Yeah. We had someone that we talked to. They were recruiting her now experienced veterinarian out for a little while, very good at what she did and super qualified. So they offered salary increase, $75,000 a year towards her loan. So that paid off and covering the tax bomb associated with it. And she had loans that were just under, I think it was in the 350 to 375. Like it's wild, but like that's out there. Now, again, that's not new grad. <laughs> so I think it's important to understand that, but the amount of money that's spent there, it's like, yeah, that's great. They were able to hire her because it seemed like a no brainer for her and where she was at and really wanted to take advantage of it. But that money could be used in other ways too, of like, hey, let's give advice and guidance and have someone that can help. Like, again, you could come in and say, hey, I can work with this corporate group, educate everyone. They could still give that money away and do that stuff. But then they have another benefit to help with all the other things. And to me, the folks that get it, the ones that figure it out, that say, hey, not only are we going to help pay you well, help your student loans, you get this resource, they're going to attract the talent because everyone knows how competitive it is right now. So it's trying to find, how do I get this workplace benefit? And like what you've built, it's a really good offering that I think will start to get a lot of attention over the next couple of years because that's where everything is moving. So I think your foresight into what this was, whether it was fortunate of just like an introduction from someone else or this master plan, right? Like as we joked, it's, yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense. And there are people that are starting to wake up to, hmm, same way with conferences, whether it's VMX, WVC, there's going to be more financial stuff there because they know that for them to attract younger veterinarians and get people to show up to the show, they need to be providing benefits and value. And that's a huge value for them. Yeah, just just along those lines, the associations, uh, for instance, like I'm working with uh, the New York State Veterinary Medical Society, and we're launching a pilot this month, a financial planning pilot for members of the New York State VMA. And that's a really interesting approach. And the associations funding the cost of, of the planning through scholarships and grants. And so it's not just the workplace that can address the problem. I think associations as well are in a perfect position to also address this. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And for those listening, I know couple listeners that are on boards or involved in different state organizations, hint, hint, that could drive membership, that could keep organized veterinary medicine, attracting young people saying, hey, I really want this information. I'm seeking it out. It's not that the information isn't out there, right? You can go on Google. We can spend time. It's like, how do you distill this to what is actually applicable to me? What can make sense? And someone that can explain it versus just reading something and being like, hmm, okay, what's the underlying motivation? And again, the cool thing with when you're sponsored from an employer or from that state organization, it's, I'm here for advice. Come utilize my services, my knowledge that I've built up over the years. And what can I do to help? Like, that's such a cool thing. So that's really exciting. It'll be interesting to hear feedback and see, you know, fast forward a couple of years, how that impacts the lives of those veterinarians within New York. So very cool. Congrats. That's great. What's a soapbox topic or just anything that you kind of want to riff on, share that maybe we haven't touched on yet that you think is interesting or worth discussing. I feel like I've been riffing it for the last Yeah, three. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we can totally you change directions. You can talk anything you want. Yeah. One of the things that surprised me in the work that I've been doing is when I built Sabadoodle, I initially really focused on the student loan problem. And as I've talked to doctor groups, like I'll give a talk at a 
monthly doctor meeting. They might bring in like a non-clinical person and I'll talk. And I did this recently in December and I talked about student loans and I said, not everyone in this room has, I know has student loans. And if you want to talk about whatever financial challenges you have, you know, happy to do that. And it's been amazing to me to see that there's a lot of focus, justifiably so right now, on the cohort of veterinarians that are, you know, let's say, five years and out under from school with the massive debt. But then there's that cohort that, let's say that they're five to 15 years out or even 20 years. Some of them, they have the student loan debt piece behind them. And they're really looking for guidance about how to actually save for the future, because a lot of them feel like they're playing catch up because they've been in school for so long. And there are very few resources that, you know, beyond here's a 401k and put enough in to collect the match. Like they want to know, well, what do I need to do to eventually like retire? And so retirement projections and college savings. And there's, I've been really amazed at the interest in financial planning beyond the student loan piece. That's something that sort of surprised me. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what you just said has been interesting with just who has reached out to have conversations with our team over time and how that's kind of evolved and changed. And again, part of it, I think, is the podcast. I've told people that a lot. I mean, you think about marketing efforts or ways to build a brand or put your name out there. You can do it a lot of different ways. There's some people that do fantastic work on Instagram that I follow. I'm just like, man, they're so good. Like, I'm terrible. I'm the worst millennial to Instagram ever. Like, just not good at it, right? But the one thing I like doing is having conversations, right? So the podcast just kind of naturally fits for what I enjoy doing. And there are a lot of people craving good, open, honest advice. And the biggest thing that I hear is, well, I did this thing with this person that I knew. I'm not sure if it's the right thing. And then you start chatting. It's like, no, that didn't really make a lot of sense. And there's maybe some misguided incentive structures and things that are there where people that are in, you know, the term and using that, you know, coach term that's everywhere, financial advisor term, man, not hard to put that on a business card and go sell some insurance and say you're a financial advisor. I see that a lot. And it's unfortunate because you do have people that have all these other things. They don't, they need to be efficient early on so that they can continue to allow that to compound over time. So I agree with what you're seeing. Same thing on our end. I totally agree with that. The nice thing is that in many cases, the doctors that I talk to, they have surplus cash flow. It's just sitting in a bank account. And what you and I might think of as very, well, of course, you open up an investment account and you go to Betterment or personal capital. But for people that don't have an investing background and never done that, that's really scary. So I see a lot of cash pooling up from bonuses and you know production bonuses, signing bonuses, or just their paycheck, and it could be working harder. Yep. If you are that person you're listening, I'd highly encourage you. I can't remember what episode it is, but I talked about inflation and the inflation print. Um, this is going to put a kind of a timestamp on this. So the December inflation print just came out, I think today, it was at 7%. And so if you're holding cash in your bank at maybe you're lucky to get half a percent, I think that's what Ally is, which is where we have our high yield savings account, which I say with a smile and it a joke that's not really <laughs> high yield by any stretch of the imagination, but it is in today's environment. Yeah, you work far too hard and have too much going on to allow then that hard work to then just basically get melted away over time as far as how your purchasing power is protected. So I try to kind of unpack some of that, but that's a great, great point. 
as we kind of close out, I always let guests, and I know we've chatted a handful of times on different calls and gotten to know each other a little bit, but I always let guests ask me a random question. It can be anything. I've been asked about Marvel characters, tattoos, just all kinds of random stuff. And then it's been like, hey, tell me about like veterinary medicine and this or that. But any question that you want to know or ask, the floor is yours. You can go any direction you want. Well, I'm curious, anything that I've said today that you would push back on, or if you had a different perspective on, or you're working with, I would imagine, some practice owners. Most of my work is with associates, so staff. And one of the things that I hear when I talk to owners, and I'll talk about the student loan piece, or I'll talk about the retirement planning, the need for retirement planning, and they'll say, well, I'm not hearing that from anyone. I'm not hearing that my employees want help with saving or financial planning. And I'm like, well, you might be asking the wrong question. And I'm curious what you see around that. Yeah, the owners. And again, there's probably going to be some sort of selection bias if they listen to the podcast or stumble across anything that I've done and then reach out. There's going to be a certain cohort that that fits into that maybe they are looking to grow. They are looking to advance their business. But when I talk to people, it's, hey, I have this in place or I don't have anything in place, but I want to. I think retention, going back to kind of one of the things that you're doing and offering to the people that you're fortunate to work with, retention is huge. So how can I go get that associate veterinarian? I just had a conversation with a client and she thought, I have the great associate. We're going to be able to grow. And then something happened that at the last minute, it didn't work out, right? And so many people are looking for the same high quality associates to grow their business that you have to be competitive with your offering. And you also need to have a narrative as to the why, especially like, why am I doing this? Why would I choose your organization over someone else? And it doesn't always have to be money, right? You might not be able to compete with all the benefits. You might not have the health insurance option or all these other things as a private practice owner that a corporate offering has. I don't know a private practice that's paying $75,000 for student loan debt plus the tax bill. Like that just doesn't happen. But you can still attract and retain talent by how you do things, how you explain the why, and giving freedom and flexibility and allowing people to be themselves and not feel like they're constrained to practice medicine they don't agree with. So what I've seen is trying to offer more, as much as they can, support to their teams and the highly effective practices that we've seen. It's all around culture. It's all around trying to treat people as a family. You hold them accountable, but you want to see them succeed. And so it's trying to invest in their people as much as possible. And that's what I've seen. But again, there's probably some selection bias to that. But no, I absolutely would challenge any owner that doesn't feel like their team wants this stuff. They want it. Everyone does. I said a conversation again, I work in dentistry and vet med, but it's a 401k plan. I met with all the team and it was a dental office here locally. And we had great conversations on outside just the 401k, like what are they looking for? What the challenges do they have? And you know, I'm hearing all kinds of stuff from, I need to find a way to save because they're having trouble having a kid and they're going to go through IVF and trying to buy a house and kids in different sports saving for college. Like all these things from the team is the same, a lot of the same challenges that the doctors have. And it's like, yeah, if you have the question personally, so do they, and they need help too. And so having someone that will come in and chat and talk and listen to them is really, really important. So, cause they're not getting that anywhere else. Yep. So, I, I mean, I totally agree. I know you probably wanted me to challenge you on something. I mean, I agree with a lot of the things. I think we see the world very similarly. So I think the work that you're doing is fantastic. I'm excited to see it grow and continue to help because the whole idea of the, uh, and I talked with Andrew Langdon, who's a financial advisor down in Georgia, you know, the whole Merck study of not recommending the industry to younger people. Like that's something that we, those that care and want to help from a, 
financial advice and guidance can help solve a little portion of that. We can't do everything, right? Can't change the work environment, but we can try to solve for some of the stress that's associated with finances. So for those listening that want to get a hold of you, talk a little bit about the offering of what you do again and where would you send them best place to reach out? Yeah, the best place to go is sabadoodle.com and they'll see all my contact information, all the background on what we do. Perfect. Makes it easy. It'll be in the show notes. Thank you so much for carving out some time to join the podcast. It was great to finally make this happen. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Isaiah. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.